If you turn on the news, there's a good chance you'll hear something about climate change, and even more so now with a snowstorm ripping across the U.S. How does the media influence the way we see the climate crisis? Hello, and welcome to this seventh episode of The Voice of the Youth from Fridays for Future Digital, Beyond the Movement, the People of FFF, with Joel Levtov and Ella Jacobs. Well, we're talking about this with Lucy Biggers and Adam Schiffer. Lucy is an award-winning host, producer, and video editor with Now This News. I took more of an interest in climate activism myself after watching her YouTube series, One Small Step, in which she uses her platform to focus on sustainability issues and the climate crisis. Lucy, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Our other guest is Adam Schiffer. Adam is an associate professor of political science at Texas Christian University. And appropriately enough for this conversation is right in the middle of that snowstorm we mentioned right down there in Texas. His latest book is Evaluating Media Bias. First, Adam, you can jump in, Lucy, but in broad strokes, does the media do a sufficient job of relating these kind of extreme weather events like you're in the middle of, Adam, right back to climate change? Because obviously at this point, we're not sure that climate change has caused this, but we are sure that climate change will cause more of this kind of thing. They used to to really drop the ball altogether when it came to any connection between these episodes and the broader themes of, of climate change. They're, they're definitely getting better, but the, the deck is stacked against them in many ways. I mean, just listen to the way you phrased it. Well, we don't know for sure, but there's some, you know, when we look at it this way, well, that's that's nuance, right? And then the, the media do not do nuance very well. They have to keep things simple and, and in, in frames that, that can be understandable by by the broader public. And so no, they chances are they they will not do an adequate job of explaining how even though it's really it record smashing cold right here in Texas that that is in fact connected to to, to climate change in, in particularly the uh, decline of the the polar ice caps making the polar uh, storm you know storm systems less stable and and falling down into this this part of the the, the world Lucy, do you want to talk about that? I saw something on your story the other day actually talking about that. It's so funny, Adam, that you said that because I just made a TikTok video about this. And honestly, I learned about it from someone else like two days ago and I saw a chart and then on TikTok now you can do like that screen screen thing and you can describe it. And I describe the things that you're saying about how that jet stream is weaker now because the pressure differences aren't as strong. And yeah, I think it's sort of interesting like having you on here, Adam, and I'm on here because I create the media and then you examine the media. And so I'm playing some part. I think, I hope I'm helping communicate climate change, but it also is kind of hard in real time to make sure that you're getting everything 100% right. And like you said, that nuance, unfortunately, I feel like can be lost at the expense of, I'm sorry. Yeah. I think nuance is important and it gets lost at the expense of like time and, and, you know, that news cycle that's going so fast. So I just said a lot of ways, you know, the new media can help overcome some of those limitations. I mostly look at traditional media and all of their 
quirks and biases and shortcomings. But now, obviously, TikTok is limited to a minute, I believe. So that's that's not going to help with being able to flesh things out fully. But other formats, like, say, a podcast, really open up opportunities to explain things to, to more specialized audiences and in ways that are, you know, th- that allow for more detail and, and, and more nuance. And just to follow up on that point, what would an ideal coverage of this look like in both of your minds? Yeah, I think it's about just acknowledging that extreme weather events are connected back to climate change and that it's not always just going to be heat waves. And like, I think people, you always hear this age old expression like, but it's cold outside, climate change can't be real. And so there's a little bit of an education aspect that has to happen. You have to bring the viewer, the reader along on why one thing is connected to the other. And there's a lot of people out there who care and want to be educated, but then there's a lot of people out there who are just looking outside their window and they're not reading the most reputable outlets. And so it's really easy for the misinformation to sneak in because I think the truth requires more effort on the part of the consumer and reader. People's belief in climate change is directly related to how much warmer or cooler it was in in their city that year. So it, this is the sort of thing that may pose a challenge. This is not the time to pull Texans on whether they believe that the <laughs> The climate is warming up. But as far as ideal coverage, back to your question, I mean, honestly, maybe right now, just let us dig out, let us get our power back on. Let, let, let's, you don't, I don't think the coverage right now needs to focus on that aspect because it's, it's in a crisis and crisis coverage tends to serve a particular function and look a certain way. And, and they're pretty good at it. But, but once the dust settles, once it comes down to the, the, the political battles that will happen in Texas and elsewhere over where to go from here, and then, of course, during the next electoral cycles, it will be vital that, that those connections are, are made. And, and, and I think it will be easier to do so when, when you're not right in the middle, but you can connect this, not just this event, but the hurricanes and other things that have afflicted us recently all, you know, tie them together in, into a coherent narrative. What you guys are talking about actually brings a nice segue into our next question. So ever since the last administration, uh, the U.S. has done more than just pulled us out of the Paris Agreement on, under Trump. We've seen the idea that climate change is a belief proliferated more. And working in media, do you guys believe um, that more people see climate change nowadays as a belief or as a science? And do you think that the media gives too much of a voice to climate deniers? I think it's gotten a lot better, honestly. I mean, uh, minus everything you're saying about the president and the, the White House not taking science seriously, let's just take that and just throw that out the window in the trash. Uh, <laughs> um, but like in general, I know there's a lot of statistics around like just polling, public polling. And like when I started covering these issues back in 2015, they would pull the American public and it was like 45% of Americans thought it climate change was real. And now the number is up, I want to say in the 70s, I haven't gotten the immediate number. So everything you're saying about, yes. So to answer your question, like, is it a belief or is it a science? I think there's still population of the of, of Americans that think it's a belief, but I think that that population is getting smaller and maybe more extreme, but the, but the majority is slowly, slowly coming around to accepting it as science. And also the climate change denier thing. I mean, it used to be on cable news, like, you know, five, 10 years ago, they would have a climate denier and then a climate acceptor. And, and they got a lot of flack for that. And so they've stopped doing that. So I think that just seeing how much it's 
gotten better, it still could be better. And Adam, I see you nodding your head. I feel like you saw the same things. Yes, yes. And in fact, and since I'm you know, spent a lot of time in the political science scholarly literature, I can say the good news is your observations are are borne out by the evidence. I mean, that there are it is in fact has been demonstrated in fact that there are fewer deniers on television than there were a while ago. And also your point about more of the public believing in, in climate change as an established fact, uh, it, it's, on, it's on the increase. Now I'll put one potentially complicating factor into that mix, which is that those views have polarized by party recently. So it, it, when, when we first started talking about this a couple of decades ago, there wasn't really much difference between Democrats and Republicans in their belief. But the more that it, it became a partisan issue, they, they um, scholars have shown that, that people take cues from the from the media, yes, but also from from Democrats and Republicans on the media, you know, giving their spiels, and and so Republicans are less likely to believe in it than they were before. But overall, the numbers have have moved in the direction of of more belief in 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 climate change. And do you think that's going to be in uh, as much as you can predict the future? Do you think that trend is you know going to keep going in the same direction? Perhaps. You don't ever want to bet against polarization right now. So I, I hate to say that, but, um, but, but the one potential mitigating factor is, is to whatever degree there is generational difference. We, because as the oldest generations join the great electorate in the sky and, and the youngest generations become old enough to vote and, and participate in the process, that could lead to sort of a wholesale change irrespective of party like we've seen on issues like gay rights and and marijuana legalization that this this definitely feels like like one of those as as well i agree with that because i've seen um, a lot of statistics around millennials and younger republican conservatives who uh believe in climate change they to them they're like i believe climate change is real i think the thing that is different is that their approach to it is different like they might not want as much big government policy or something like that they might want to make it more economic or whatever it may be but i think that the polarization I mean, we're seeing it now. I think that just in general, we have some people, the news that they're consuming is so out there that they don't even believe that, you know, they don't even believe that the earth is round. They believe the earth, like fires are started by like Jewish lasers or something. Like that's not, I'm quoting, I'm quoting a congresswoman who said that. So the crazies are getting crazier. I don't know. That's overstatement, but. No, I think yeah. Adam and I can confirm the Jewish laser <laughs> thing. It's true. Yes, yes, we do. We do, in fact, do that. So. We, have you on, we have you on record. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting to see the correlation between uh, politics and climate, um, whether you believe it or not, um, how much it has turned into a belief. I want to kind of transition to a more critical look at exactly what the media is representing when it does talk about climate change. There's... You know, in the activist movement, there's things, particularly in our organization, similar organizations, there's a lot of complaints about who gets featured to talk about climate change. Usually, from my observation, this seems to be a true statement. I think both of you can probably give a better perspective on this, but it seems like white activists from the global north generally tend to be featured to talk about climate change even though we know that climate change is mostly affecting people in the quote-unquote global south and mostly BIPOC. Given that, what are your perspective on that? Do you think that's true? And if so, what should the media be doing 
to change that. Definitely true. I think we could see that with like Greta Thunberg was somebody who got a lot of attention. And like, that was one of the criticisms, not of her, but of the media that, that like this cute little blonde girl from a Nordic country is all of a sudden caring and we're getting media attention. Like I'm of two minds of it. Like, I think it's, the fact that you've been asking that question is really important. And I think that there has been a lot more conversation around intersectionality and representation in every industry this year, especially since the Black Lives Matter movement this summer. I think that there's a big effort around changing that. And then I also think that like through the lens of history, like it's not perfect, but like maybe Greta Thunberg in that moment in time, that's what like the North, like countries and this is people who live there needed to see to care and now they can open up their mind even more to people from the global south and so everyone's on a journey and maybe like the white people in the north who are the worst defenders of climate change needed to see a white girl from sweden i'm not saying that it's right but that's kind of how i think about it and i think that hopefully now we just can keep opening up and widening who is included because that's just so necessary to actually make the change that we need to make and have this be an inclusive movement. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I mean, if you want to understand the root of it, you can just, you said, well, climate change tends to be covered this way, mostly voices. Well, you just, instead of climate change, just say blank, right? Yeah. Blank issue, even though it mostly affects the global South, tends to be covered with voices only for, you know, it's, it's not unique to climate change. It's a, a quintessential feature. It, it was, I mean, four, more than 40 years ago, sociologist Herbert Gans, who one of the, the great scholars of the American news media, called it the ethnocentric bias in, in American news. And it's been shown in things like coverage of, of conflict and, uh, and natural disasters. There is not just physical proximity to the U.S., but cultural proximity to, to the U.S. is a, a big determinant of, of, of what, what gets covered and whose voices get get heard so i'm not i'm not sure what what can be done but i i share lucy's mixed view of about greta thunberg in, in the sense that yeah i i understand the critique but at the same time if, if somebody is out there making the case and even even if the voices aren't being heard if if her activism ends up benefiting everybody in the long run then it, it, that, that's that's what you have to do to get into uh to the american media then then so be it. And she's been so good. I, I would say she is like a media mastermind. I don't know if she just was born that way. She's such a talent for social media. And she's always said like, stop covering me, like cover. I'm on a native American reservation and you're talking about me. And like, I, she's like, please like look at these five activists who actually don't have clean drinking water in their town. And so I feel like it's really cool to see somebody who is willing to, you know, spread that spotlight. And just again, the fact that like, we're having these conversations, I think is a good first step. And obviously it can only improve. But but to follow up on that point, is the media therefore changing the way they cover it or are they just completely ignoring what she's saying? Like, does it make a tangible difference? Depends on the media. I mean, like I think in the climate space, I'm seeing so much more amplification of BIPOC activists, so many young women. It's funny, most, I feel like young activists are young women in the climate space. You know, I follow a ton of them on Instagram. And I just think that like, in the same way that like AOC always gets coverage, like everything that Greta does, it gets coverage because she's doing a funny tweet at President Trump. And so like, that's probably going to make CNN 
before, you know, a lesser known young woman of color activist from the global South is going to make CNN. But like in the climate movement space, the people who really care about this, I see such an intention of being more inclusive. So again, not as good as it could be, but I think within the movement, it's definitely a priority. And sorry, Adam, I think both of you can chime in on this, but therefore, do you think there's a divide in media? Because we're talking about media as one thing, which it's obviously not. So Lucy, you obviously work for an outlet geared towards youth and new media, quote unquote, uh, versus, you know, the New York Times, CNN, and as much as we can group them together, uh, Al Jazeera, and so on. Obviously, these are all separate entities, but there's kind of the old media, new media phenomenon. So do you think there's any tangible difference in the way they're covering climate change and the and who gets to talk? I mean, there definitely is. I think that like the thing that now this has always done is like when there's a movement like Black Lives Matter, like climate marches and all these things, we're like, we're there, we're with you, like, let's go. And we're covering on the ground what these activists have to say versus new old media would be a little bit more having to put it into context. Oh, well, these young people are protesting today, this thing, climate change, which might be real or not, <laughs> whatever. Versus like now this, where we're like standing next to the class, because like, we're the same generation. So I guess there is a divide between old and new media, but I definitely think I've seen old media get so much better be- with the rise of social media, even since 2015, 2016, like their coverage of like a standing rock and how they covered activists then versus how they've covered, and not all of them, but like how a lot of media like New York Times and stuff have covered the Black Lives Matter protests these years, this summer. I think it's gotten better. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's part of this, this broader pattern where the New York Times in particular right now, but also a lot of, of the other old guard media are, are really undergoing a, a reckoning. And, and it's being driven. We keep talking about generational factors. It's being driven by their younger and more diverse staff members. Um, it, it's, it's really centered around the how they cover protests and, and the Black Lives Matter movement. But I think it'll have broader implications as, as again, these younger, more diverse. And, and they're also the, the youngest staff members at places like the New York Times were raised on social media. So they, they, they may be working for a traditional organization, but they are fluent in social media. And, and, and so they're bringing that sensibility to the table and asking, why are you doing things the way you've always done? You know, the, the tradition is not a good enough answer for why you, you exclude certain voices from the table or why you insist on covering things certain ways. So I think we'll see uh, in, in the near future a, a pretty, you know, some great big reverberations from, from that reckoning that, that's happening in the traditional press. Yeah, you guys got it good. I got to tell you, I have like been thinking about this today, like, cause I'm 31, which you'd never know. I know shocking. <laughs> but um, when I grew was, I was entering the workforce in 2012, like Instagram wasn't a thing. And there was so much that we as millennials had to like break down from older generations. And now millennials are like this main generation of the workforce, like 30 to 40. And we're obsessed with Gen Z. We're like, you can do no wrong. Like do the, like do the protest, do the social media. Like you're on TikTok. We'll be on TikTok too. And I'm like, you guys don't realize we're a really nice older generation to you versus baby boomers are like millennials. You're the worst. And I just had that thought today. So it's just funny that we're like talking about this. And I'm like, I want to be Gen Z. And no one wanted to be a millennial when I was entering the workforce. <laughs> it's funny. Well, I'm Gen X. So we're just the forgotten <laughs> you guys didn't stick up for us. You know, we were like, who's Gen X? The boomers just walked all over us. <laughs> That's the problem. Who's Gen X? That's the same thing the boomers said about us. We're just sandwiched in the middle between these warring generations. And the last thing I'll say about that is 
my my campus my college campus was wired for the internet my senior year so if you want to talk about growing up in a different era wild yeah that's so interesting i just never thought about that um and thank you for sharing your perspectives on that now going off of that and talking about how we frame uh climate news back to our audiences do you, you um think that um, we need to change how we frame climate news in the sense that when, you know, you're you're watching a story about climate change, you see all this doom and gloom. And most people think, well, well, that's not affecting me. That's not affecting me now. So I don't really see how that can affect me. How can we frame climate news in a way that audiences will feel this kind of urgent um, and feel like it will affect them? Yeah, I can answer that. Um, I think that it's definitely a challenge. It's something that I think about so much. And I think that everyone is on a different journey into their level of awareness around this. And like I was saying before about the statistics that only 45% of people thought about it and now it's 70, whatever. That 30% increase had to happen from news stories and exposure. And so everyone has their different moment where they say, okay, enough is enough. I'm going to, I'm going to think about this. And I think for me, it was a feeling of going from feeling overwhelmed and disconnected from climate change and just kind of going, oh boy, I don't even know how to take that on. I am not going to think about that. To then, you know, (laughs) having a moment of realizing that like you can accept it, you can accept that it's real and sort of then compartmentalize and realize do what you can within your area of expertise within your life and you're not going to solve it alone but as more and more people start making that choice you all of a sudden have this group momentum and I think the huge shift happened in 2018 with Greta Thunberg started it but it was a combination of her the IPCC report came out that said we had 10 years Trump being president um, AOC saying that there was going to be a green kept coming out with the green new deal there were just these few moments where all of a sudden I was like wow there's actually a crowd here this is now a big group of people who are using their minds to solve this and it doesn't feel like I'm just like fighting it alone because you can't you have to be part of a movement and hope that each person is doing their little their little bit yeah and going back to that Adam do you think that it it's important to change how we frame it or do you think the media does a sufficient job of that should we focus on more hopeful climate news because like Lucy said she felt like she could tackle this issue after seeing um more people get involved and I don't think we really see a lot of good climate news a lot it's more you know we have nine years left until um ecological catastrophe Catastrophe. So yeah, does it help or hurt us? That's a that's a good question. It's hard if there's if there's not much good happening, then it's hard to if you're trying to cover it accurately. It, it is as far as the the trajectory, but but then again, if by good you mean things that, that people are are doing or proposals that they're they're putting forward, I don't know. I, I think the press overall has has gotten a little better at the way they frame things. There, there was a, a good study that came out, I think just this year or last year by by two political scientists, Eric Merkley and Dominique Stekula, who, who showed that they, they looked at different frames, particularly ones that were, that, that tend to be pushed on the conservative side of things, but are, are sort of run into to issues with with facts like like the, you know, the, the economic costs of mitigating climate or appealing to you know the ideas of, of free market uh, and and also the the uncertainty of of the science and they show that all of those things were on the decline in, in the coverage there there was less 
framing around those around those ideas. Maybe fairly low expectations for for the mainstream press. And as I said, I'm sort of I'm counting on the younger generation of journalists to to come in with with fresh perspective and and being socialized into understanding these questions more thoroughly. But for now, I mean, just the fact that it that it gets any coverage and they've pushed most of the deniers into the margins that that sure beats when, when I was in college. Yeah, I also just want to add to that because I just feel like you can also think about it as like a quality of life thing. And I think there's some success in transforming it from, oh, lowering your carbon footprint to being like, oh, imagine having cleaner streets because you now don't have pollution coming from a car. I think there's a lot of promise in selling what a climate future would look like and showing people that their lives will be better than they are now. And that it's not a scary thing. If we address it, it would actually improve our lives and not just be like, oh, you can only take two second showers or you have to bike everywhere. It's like, oh no, you have an electric car that isn't polluting. So your kids won't have asthma or you won't have an, you don't have to pay for oil and fill up your gas tank or your heating will be cheaper because your house is efficient. Like, I think that's a really promising way to phrase it. Thank you for joining us, Lucy and Adam, and sharing your perspectives. Do you have any social medias you'd like to share with our listeners before we end or any final thoughts you would like to express? My social media is just my name, Lucy Biggers. And thank you all for coming on and doing your part is what I'm talking about being part of the movement. <laughs> I'm from the era where people had silly handles instead of just their names. So my, my Twitter and Instagram are both cold cardinal one word <laughs> like like the bird so i love that well, well joel's is joel left toe so he can't <laughs> and play on my name well yeah that about does it for us on this episode of the voice of the youth thank you all for being here uh thank you all for listening and see you next episode thank you, thank you.